this time, children ages three to six are dismissed for children's church. You can head to the back now, and I will welcome Kevin to please come up at this time, and we look forward to what you have to share with us. So I asked Jeremy if there was any way that I could wander around the pulpit. He said, sure, if I must, I'll give you this. <laughs> I don't stand behind the pulpit very well, though um, there are a few people that would suggest I should. Um, hi, my name is Kevin Gertson, and I have been here before. It's been a few years, but I have been here before with Dave Wright, as Danny had mentioned. Um, and I thank you for the opportunity to come back and say thank you so much for your support uh, for the ministry, as well as for me personally. I thank you so much for that. And I, um, I just want to take a few moments. Well, it's probably not just a few moments. I will give you a heads up, though, um, that this is not an extremely well-put-together exposition of the scriptures as you would experience from Danny. Um, this is just going to be an introduction to who I am and what we're doing and a little bit of update, and I will have a bit of scripture in there for you today. This is good. It's good to see everybody. Uh, the last, again, the last time I was up here, I think I did introduce myself. I'm not 100% sure, but let me, let me finish this out, or start this out by just saying, my name is Kevin Gertson. My lovely wife there is Marty. We come from Osler, Saskatchewan. Yes, it's a little bit of a trip, but I'm expecting that we should be able to make it back home tonight yet sometime. Um, I, my mother grew up on a dairy farm, a large dairy farm back in the day. Of course, that's quite a bit different than what a large dairy farm looks like today. My father grew up on the grain farm. And um, I grew up on a small hobby farm where my dad uh, became a contractor by trade. So we did learn farm life. Uh, the biggest tractor I got to drive was the W4. And we used that one primarily for the, the feed mill and the wood mill and uh, running bales. Uh, back and forth from the, you know, we pulled the bail wagon behind it. So I do have some farming experience, which I really enjoyed. Uh, but I got into, uh, when I left the farm, I went to Bible college for two years. And then I got into the trades after that. So that's a little bit of who I am. Uh, my kids, however, grew up in town when I married Marty. Our kids grew up in town. And now my farm boy, I have an actual farm boy who has uh, about 22 pair of Angus mix. Um, he loves his animals. He loves to care for them. And uh, it's a bit of a chore for him, but he also works for a farm. So that is a little bit of a, our family. My, well, I have uh, another son who is an auto body man, auto body mechanic. Um, and I have a daughter who has provided us with three, three lovely grandkids. We're excited about that. Marty and I love the church. We love God's bride, Christ's bride. We serve the church and have been serving the church at Osler for 20, more than 20 years now. Four years, something like that. Um, I have to be careful on dating that. Anyways, uh, yeah, we love the church. We love to serve the church and been serving the church for over 20 years. I have been a Sunday school teacher for many, many of those. I even ran the Sunday school department for a number of years. Uh, and uh, Marty has been uh, hosting, and she meets and greets. She's been part of the Sunday school department as well. 
so we have always loved the church, been a part of the church. I was saved in a small country church, so I've always seen the need to be about God's business in the church. So it's good to see all the volunteers that have a role and play a role uh, in making church happen. Um, I am, I mentioned uh, in the construction industry, I am an HVAC technician by trade. I don't know if anybody knows what that means, uh, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. I fix that stuff. Furnaces, air conditioners, water heaters. Uh, now, recently, as uh, was referenced, I'm full-time, so I actually uh, created a little, um, a, a little training station, a uh, training uh, department in my shop. There's my, I've turned my shop into a, a training facility, so now, Instead of taking my tools and throwing them into the truck and going out to fix, people come to me and they learn how to fix furnaces, air conditioners, and water heaters. So it's kind of my tent making, if I will, uh, but it turns out that God didn't want me to make too many tents. So he wants me to tell others about what we're doing in, uh, up north and with other churches as well. So that is me and that is what we're doing uh, with the ministry I thought I should just briefly mention to you, Ethnos Canada did a series, like the leadership, they did a series of pastoral forums across Canada a number of years ago. And the primary question that kept coming back uh, to them was like, how do, you, how do you raise up disciples of Christ that are mature enough in just a few short years to plant another church? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, the ministry that you guys have been involved in, the ministry that you guys have been supporting, that's the answer to that question. The answer is purposeful discipleship. The answer is making sure that you are doing it purposefully. And now ours is very structured. Uh, uh, Ethnos Canada has been very structural in the way they do church, the way they raise a church, plant a church. And so... Uh, what we're doing in this ministry is actually a direct translation of what they do overseas. Now, we've made a lot of changes to it. Uh, we've made it more North American culturally sensitive, if I can say it that way. So we've come a long way from where we started six years ago. Yes, we've been working on this for six years. And we are so excited to let you know that we are actually launching the ministry. That's the official launch. We're actually launching the ministry uh, this fall, D Dave and I are going to be doing an incredible amount of traveling. We're going to be traveling anywhere from La Crete, Alberta, all the way to uh, Ontario, Windsor, Ontario. So we're going to be traveling a lot uh, in this fall. So I really hope and pray that you guys will be praying for us as we continue to do the traveling and begin this launch. Really super excited about it. Now, um, I wanted to just take a moment once again to say thank you, church, because you have been a part of helping us develop this ministry. You have been a part of helping us develop the material, the philosophy, the practical side of doing this ministry. And we want to thank you so much for your support and for allowing us to be here. Dave and I came out here several times uh, through the months, a few, three years ago or so, something like that, we came out here and we um, hung out with you guys Many of you guys, are, a couple of you are here already, or are here, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of that experience. It was uh, pulling me um, out of my world of comfort, it definitely was, 
and it ultimately prepared me to be here today. So I thank you for the opportunity that you gave us to be a part of transforming this, what we do overseas, to something that fits in our North American world. Now, I, I, uh, I noticed the kids' uh, storytelling here that is incredible um, because what I want to share with you is, is really related to stories. Now, I, I, could tell you stories, I could tell you stories about what farm life was like for me. You guys will have your own stories. Um, I could even tell you how um, even during butcher season, my mom um, lost this part of her finger <laughs> in the grinder. Uh, I could tell you stories how my other brother lost a finger in the woodmill. And I could tell you stories when I woke up to a huge wine on a Saturday morning, just this horrible wine was happening, and I realized my dad had bought a new uh, feed mill, and he was uh, pra uh, practicing. And so guess who got to do, uh, to, to run the grain through the feed mill for the next eight to 10 hours that day? Yay! <laughs> Um, so there's all kinds of stories that I could tell you about farm life, and no doubt you could tell me about farm life. But one of the major stories that has been changing is the stories about the Aboriginal people group that we've been engaging with in northern Saskatchewan. We've been discipling Aboriginal people in northern Saskatchewan, and these are people that are already engaged in the church, but the leadership has a difficulty. They don't know how to do discipleship well, and so... We're coming alongside of them, and we're teaching them how to do discipleship. One of the gentlemen, his name is Alfred Tinker. Alfred Tinker is Cree. Alfred Tinker is actually a school teacher in a northern community in Saskatchewan. Alfred Tinker has got a brand new story to tell. He's been telling stories about the transformation that has taken place in his life to the many people around him. But what's amazing is the significant contrast to the, what his story used to be like. His story was that of insignificance. His story was no different than many other people in the Aboriginal community. His story was of complete insignificance. He didn't see of any real value to his life. He didn't see of any real value to his community. Our ministry... It's making a difference in Alfred's life and the many of the people that are there. And I, I can only imagine that there's a number of you here that can, can wrap your head around, like, so why do they feel so insignificant? Why did, why did Alfred feel so insignificant? And I'm pretty certain that you guys have seen the stories or read the stories or visited the stories in, in places strewn across Western Canada. Stories of battles, stories of death, stories of sickness, stories of many pain and, and heartache. I'm confident that some of you have seen roadside plaques scattered across the prairies. And these stories that these people tell, they tell them through music. They tell these stories of insignificance through dance. They tell these stories of insignificance through their artwork and often tell these stories around a fire of insignificance. Day after day, they hear these stories. Generation after generation, they hear the same stories of insignificance. And most sadly, 
Most sadly, the evangelism to the people up north have often left the scriptures or left the gospel shared, broken, shared insignificantly itself. Most sadly, the evangelism to the people of north has left broken stories of the creator. The Bible was taught and shared, but perhaps not shared in the context that they understood it. The Bible was perhaps not shared in a way that they understood it, like we're teaching it foundationally, starting at Genesis, ending in John, and the 101. 102, you go from Genesis to John once again, sharing about the truths of the Scriptures. So if they don't know, if they really don't know God, if they really don't know the God of the Bible, then they'll, they'll never really know the story of God. And if they never really know the story of God, they'll never really know the story of man and the relationship they're in. And if they don't really understand the relationship that God has with man or desires to have with man, they really not have wrapped their head around the Old Testament, nor understood that the Old Testament is actually foundational to their faith and the gospel. And if they not have wrapped their heads and their hearts and their minds around that, perhaps they haven't understood either that the Old Testament is actually foundational to the New Testament. Without the Old Testament, we would not necessarily have the New Testament. And if they don't understand the Old Testament and the New Testament, they may have missed the reason why Jesus had to die. And if they missed the reason why Jesus had to die, they're going to end up with a myriad of holes in their foundations of their faith, the biblical foundations, a myriad of holes. They'll have a fragmented of understanding of who God is, his word, and Christ as the word. They'll have, their biblical literacy, literacy will be way low, much lower than you and I, and they will not know how to disciple. If they don't know the Bible, they will not know even the importance of doing discipleship, let alone how to do discipleship. And if they're not doing discipleship, ladies and gentlemen, um, then they're not going on to maturity like you and I are moving on to maturity and sending people off into the field, into the ministry. Our church is a huge advocate of sending people into the ministry as well. And if they don't understand the Bible, if they're not doing discipleship, then they're not going to be going on to maturity. It just won't happen. But the ministry that you have helped us provide for these northern communities has been impacting them to the point where they are now telling new stories. They are telling brand new stories that have joy in them, that have life in them. Joy and life that's expressed in, in uh, many a myriad of ways. So the broken stories have now and broken, the stories of, broken stories and stories of broken families and broken faith are now new stories, brand new stories of hope, a better life, a better future, stories that give them security in their faith, security in their identity in Christ. I can't believe it. So um, there was a, an, a meeting that we had up north. We have lots of meetings, but there was a, a specific meeting that we had up north, and the, there was a couple of ladies there. It was just broken in tears. They didn't realize their security in Christ. They had no idea that you could actually be secure in Christ. That's a broken faith. They had a broken faith. I, I was just, like, to me, it was common knowledge. I've always known. I've always had. I grew up in a church that taught biblical truth, a solid biblical truth. 
it wasn't an issue to me. But these people were in tears, understanding and wrapping their head around, like, I can have security. I know that I am in the Lord. I am in Christ. And that just moved me because I just took it for granted. I just took it for granted. But young and old, they are beginning to tell new stories. Young and old, ladies and gentlemen, we all have stories to tell. We all have stories to tell. Uh, a number of months ago, we went to my daughter's place for a Sunday lunch. And um, I love my grandkids. I love to spend a, a few minutes at least. Every time we visit, I love to spend a few minutes alone with them. I want to make that connection with them. I want to make sure that they know that I love them, undeniably love them. And so I sat in, on my, daughter's, my granddaughter's bed in her room and and I asked her, so what was Sunday school like? And she told me the story. She did a great job, actually, telling me about the, the passage, or not about the passage, and as much about the story, of course. She's not going to know the passage, per se. But I knew exactly where it was. And um, we had a great conversation. And I began to tell her a little bit more about the story. And it was, I went on and on, and we had continued to have the conversation. I think we talked about 15 minutes about what she learned, and it was really, really cool. And at one point in time, she turned to me, Grandpa you should be a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> I thought that was good. But I was telling her a story about the faith, about my faith, and how that story had impacted my life. And I reflected upon that. I thought, you know what? How often have I done that? That was probably the first time I actually ever really sat down with my granddaughter and shared with her a story about that story, that biblical story, actually impacted my faith. And I was challenged. I was honestly challenged. Uh, how often do I do that with any of my kids? How often do I purposely sit down with any of my kids, let alone my grandkids, and tell a story of how the scriptures have impacted my life? Tell the story, a story of how the Spirit of God has opened my eyes to my faith. How often? That's an embarrassing answer. I'm not going to give it to you. Um, but it's incredible how many stories are impacting the hearts and souls and minds of those that are coming back to us. They're saying, Kevin, Dave. Dave spends more time up there than I do. And they say, Dave, this is powerful. This is huge, Dave. This is huge, Dave. Because they can now tell new stories to their kids. They can now tell new stories of how the faith has impacted their hearts and their souls and their minds. Oh yeah, that's my granddaughter, by the way, and her little puppy. So I, from that moment on, I've been thinking about all the stories that we could share, should be sharing, with our kids. I have a, I have a son, this is my son, and his grandfather, and his new or old, however you want to put it. Does anybody recognize what kind of tractor that is, apart from John Deere? It's an old AR, 1946 AR, unstyled. And it's his pride and joy, my son's pride and joy. He loves his grandparents. My son loves his grandparents. And they sit around and talk about the stories of old. They sit around and talk about what it used to be like. Yishtema. Does anybody know that? Yishtema. What it was like before. And they would talk about... And what's, what excites me about that is that my grandfather loves the Lord. And so every now and then I hear about how that story that he told is ending with 
a story of truth that he has learned from life. And I'm, I appreciate that because my son is not only learning about Yeshtema, but he is also learning about how God has impacted those days back then, how God has moved life back then, transformed lives back then. And it was actually a number of months ago, or a, a, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, my son and I, we drove out to Alberta to pick up that tractor. And you wouldn't believe the stories that my son began to learn when, my, when his grandfather jumped on that tractor and put her into road gear. <laughs> so the stories that my son would hear around the putt, 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 that rhythmic putt, putt, putt of that two-cylinder engine just filled my son with joy. He just loves to learn about Yishtama. My son also um, got a hold of a diary from his great-grandfather. Great-great, sorry, great-great-grandfather. Got a hold of a diary from his great-great-grandfather. There was actually, uh, it was a it was a story in there about a contingency of men and women, families, from our area and southern, Al southern Manitoba. I'm not sure if anybody here would know about it, but there was a contingency of people from our area and southern Manitoba that made a trip to Paraguay, made a trip to Paraguay to find out whether or not they should be homesteading out there. It was an unbelievable story. My son was just all over it. Just loved it, just soaking it up. And it's another story that my grandfather, or his grandfather, could continue to share with him and how God had impacted that journey, how God had played a role in that journey for that contingency that went up there. But my son sits and hears about the stories of how Yeshtema, the communities, would come together and they would support one another, farmers supporting farmers. And in many of those stories, he would be talking about when, they, like his father, or uh, my grandfather's father, if you can follow with me, was always responsible for the initial butchering. So I don't know if this was familiar here for you, but you would go from community to community, farmer to farmer, and everybody would play a role. And my, or his grandfather's father was always responsible for slitting the throat of the pigs and gutting him and butchering him, and then the rest of it was up to someone else. I could also tell you stories about butchering. They always often butchered, or they often butchered on my birthday, which is November 9th, if anybody cares to remember that one, by the way. <laughs> November 9th, I got to stay home from school, and of course, the very first thing that I had to do was stoke up the miagropen and fill it with water. Does anybody know what a miagropen is? Yes. Stoke it up get it burning hot, because when the pigs were coming, um, we'd have, I'd have to give them a scalding bath, and then I'd have this um, cup. Uh, it was, I would scrape up. The, there's different ways to do it. Some guys would use a torch to get the hair off. Um, we, we used bo um, boiling water, and then I'd scrape off the hair. So that was my task. That was my job, to keep those meagropens. We had two of them in the shop, to keep those meagropens hot and full of water. Uh, thankfully, I didn't have to do too much stirring, uh, that, I was too small for that at the time, so it was good that somebody else did the stirring. But stories, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we could go back and forth and tell stories till the sun goes down. Amazing stories, stories that will make us laugh, stories that will make us cry, and stories that transform lives. 
stories that make a huge impact on transformed lives. There's a young man by the name of Timothy. A young man by the name of Timothy that learns stories from his grandmother and his mother. Stories of God. Stories of how God had reached out, had sought the love from his people, had saved his people many times, had provided for his people many times, and had loved his people all the time. We can find this if you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy. It's just, I got a couple of passages that I want to touch on. If you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, but if you're, if you're looking up at the top here, Second Timothy 3, 14 to 15. Second Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, who? Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is Paul telling Timothy, don't forget what you learned. Don't forget the stories that you learned from your mom and your grandmother. Don't forget those because those are the stories, those are the things that you're going to learn that will, are able to make you wise to salva- for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul had another young man in his life. He discipled Many young men. Timothy was one of them. Titus was also another one. And I want to share this with you briefly here. Titus chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It's not far from where you're at in 2 Timothy. But Titus chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them a good example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. What is that? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. And I want to share with you briefly here, and, and forgive me, Danny, if I say this Greek word wrong. Feel free to correct me next week when I'm not here. The word encourage here is translated in a few different other words. Urge, I believe urge is in the NASB. There are a few different English words that are used to translate it. And the Greek word for this word is parakleo. Parakleo, and I, I probably should should read it to make sure that I don't mess this one up. But the English word encouraged here is translated through the Greek word parakleo. Parakleo can be interpreted as a command to purposely call someone alongside you. To call someone to oneself, to call for, to summon. It is a, it is a present imperative. That means, present imperative means that it's always applicable. It's always actionable. It doesn't have an end, but it's always actionable. It's a present imperative. It's also a command calling for continuous action. Continuously urge. Keep on exhorting one another. Again, does that not sound like discipleship? Does that not sound like we're going to be telling stories with this young man for years to come? Stories of God that'll challenge his life. Stories of God that'll empower him to be telling more stories.
from the beginning of time, we have been telling stories. Mankind has been telling stories. There's never been a time that there hasn't been a storyteller. I remember when I was a young boy uh, sitting in the living room floor, sitting on the living room floor. All us kids were sitting on the living room floor, and we were listening to my uncle tell stories. What a storyteller he was. He would tell us stories about a time when he was a uh, uh, lumberjack out in B.C., when he owned a store, a gas station out in B.C. There was a myriad of stories that this man would tell. Some of us are great storytellers. Some of them are storytellers. But what is the story that we're telling? What is it that we are telling? What is it that we hope to tell in the stories that we are telling? In Psalm 78, verses 1 to 7, I know that we read the passage earlier, so we probably don't have to read the passage again, but what I want to point out to you, and I'll read these first few verses for you. My people, it says, it starts out, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. What is a parable, ladies and gentlemen? A parable is a story. It's a story used in an illustration to tell you something that you should learn. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. What are we talking about? We're talking about things that our ancestors have told us. And what are those things, ladies and gentlemen? Those are things, those are stories, those are events in their history about what God has done in their hearts and in their souls and in their minds. A parable. It's to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Things we have heard. Things we have known. Psalm 78, um, very similar to Psalm 105. Actually, Psalm 105 is actually a hymn, an actual hymn. It's, um, It's a salvation history hymn. They would actually sing this or recite Psalm 105 at some of their major religious uh, ceremonies. It's they, they sing this song, or they would recite it. Same with Psalm 78. Psalm 78, they would do the same thing. They would recite this psalm during one of the major events, major celebrations. And the whole purpose of this psalm, if you, if you would read the psalm, we're gonna, I'll just briefly go over it, but if you read the psalm, you'll recognize there are stories here. There are events here of Israel that Israel went through. So if we just take a moment, I'll, I'll go through this briefly. Um, right at the beginning of Psalm 78, he talks about the Battle of Ephraim. Now, most of us don't really know about that battle. But he also talks about the miracles in the land of Egypt. That we remember. All the miracles in the land of Egypt. Um, when God divided the sea and led them through the waters, standing on either side, like walls of water, standing on either side. How glorious how miraculous was that? That was an event that actually took place in their lives. There's more passage. There's, in, in 78, it also talks about how God guided them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When he split the rocks and opened, for, opened the water, split the rocks wide open for water to come out. And he provided bread and meat in the desert. These are stories that talked about how God is the provider, the provider of all. He provided bread and meat in the desert. He returns 
Uh, and the, the, the psalmist Asaph also returns to present greater detail, in greater detail, the events that took place in Egypt. So that's the remainder of the psalm. Like it's 72 verses long. The psalm is 72 verses long. And the sole purpose of this psalm is to remind them of the things of God, to remind them of the stories that God has done in the lives of his, their lives and the lives of their ancestors. Why? Why would they need to be reminded? Simply so that they remain in the faith in the Lord. Remind my people. Throughout Scripture, we hear it from time to time. Remind my people. Remind them. Why do you think the prophets came on board? Why do you think God brought them prophets? So they would remember the stories. So they would remember the stories and come back to faith and trust in God and God alone. That's why they came back to the stories. So my prayer has been for six years now that we would begin to give the Aboriginal, Aboriginal people and many other people brand new stories to tell. Let's give them brand new stories to tell. This church, Clarny Mennonite Church, has helped us tell brand new stories to the people in the northern Saskatchewan. Beautiful stories. Stories that they will take with them to the next generation. Stories I trust God will empower them to take with them to the next generation. We are having a blast. We are enjoying telling these new stories. And we're thankful for your support and what you've done. Alfred Tinker. Alfred Tinker got cancer a year ago. Alfred Tinker is actually telling a story that is completely contrary to his community. And his community cannot understand why he's telling such a different story. Alfred Tinker has been a part of our discipling program. And he is telling a brand new story that I'm trusting he will tell to his kids. And his kids will tell to their kids. And their kids will tell it to their kids. Alfred Tinker is telling such a different story of grace and love and mercy. Alfred, in the midst of the pain and suffering that he was experiencing with cancer, his wife got up and walked out, left him with the kids. That, that's a horrible story. That's a horrible story. But I tell you that this, it's not the story that he tells. The story that he tells now is a story of love and grace, of a God that's meeting his needs, of a God that's caring for him. And even in the midst of the pain that he is suffering, has been suffering, he now finds out, this is about two weeks ago, his wife has ended up in the hospital and is now on her precariously deathbed. And still, a story of love and grace comes from his mouth. A story of love and grace has filled his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is a story I wish I had told my kids more often. This is a story that I wish and I hope to be able to tell my grandkids more and more often. A God who loves. God of grace. A God that has done so many miraculous things in our lives. That's 
what I hope to tell in years to come. So my challenge today to you and anyone else that can hear whether there's, this is online or not is what story are you telling to your kids? My son is learning stories from Ishtema and he's learning how life was like back then. And my grandfather, or my, his grandfather, is telling him how God still moved back then, which is encouraging. I can only hope and pray that I continue that, that storytelling that my grandfather's doing. So my challenge to you, again, is what story are you telling? Israel was challenged time and time again. Don't forget tell the stories of God. Do not forget to tell the stories of God. For when you forget, what does Israel do? Ah, it's a horrible downward spiral into a horrible life without God. Then he sends another prophet. And then they deny the prophet, they deny the stories of God, and again, it's a horrible downward cycle of life without God. So let's Tell stories of what God is doing in the lives, our lives, the lives around us, the scriptures. Let's tell those stories to our kids. That would be my challenge to each and every one of us. So I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share these thoughts with you. Um, right now, we are, um, I am working with a church. Uh, Don Hyssop is actually, I know you guys know Don Hyssop. Don Hyssop and I are actually working with a local church outside of Osler area, and we're teaching them how to tell new stories. We're teaching them how to do discipleship. David has booked, tentatively scheduled for two major 10-month sessions with several northern communities out of Big River. So we're moving forward, and we're praising the Lord for what God has given us, for the opportunities that God has given us. So if you, if if you want to ask more about what does that mean, what does that intensive mean, what does that 10 months mean, come see me in the back, and I would be more than willing to tell you what we're doing. Okay? Thank you very much for the opportunity to share this pulpit.